From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. Every year here on Straight Talk, we take a look at the state of the economy. Two years ago, just before the pandemic hit, we were talking about history-making economic expansion. Ten years of growth in the Portland metro area. It was unprecedented. Then something else happened we'd never seen before. The arrival of coronavirus. It created a public health crisis. The bottom dropped out of the economy. Many Portland businesses closed and people stopped coming downtown. But a year ago, we celebrated the end of 2020. We had a vaccine. Our public health response saved lives and contributed to lower COVID death rates than the rest of the U.S. And we look forward to a year of rebuilding. We were hopeful. But since then, we have faced new variants and uncertainty. And our economic recovery hasn't kept up with cities we compare ourselves to, like Austin, Salt Lake City, Seattle, Indianapolis, and Nashville. Why not? What has shifted in the Portland metro area? Here to take on those questions, welcome to my guest, Andrew Hone, the CEO of the Portland Business Alliance, Portland's Chamber of Commerce, John Taponia, the CEO of Echo Northwest, and Michelle Neese, the president of DHM Research. Welcome back everyone to Straight Talk. It's great to see you again. Great to see you. Great to see you. Andrew, last year you described what Portland had been through at the time as a, as a layering of crises that included not only the pandemic, but historic wildfires, a brutal ice storm, civil unrest, all of which impacted our region much differently than the rest of the nation. If you were to write a headline about where we are today, what would that be? Um, sure. It, it is that Portland is at an inflection point. And while I think all of us are relieved and we are celebrating the end of the pandemic and the effective public health response that you mentioned in our region, we, we really are at a crossroads. And I say that because we have depended on some assumptions. We've assumed that our population is going to be growing, our economy will continue to expand and outpace the US average. And we can no longer assume these fundamentals. And we have never had to act in some ways competitively for people and for jobs. And now we need a mindset shift. Voters are already there. And if we are to remain competitive and we have to start being competitive, we have to address these core issues that we're gonna talk about today with radical urgency. And while we face a lot of challenges, I'm, I'm perennially optimistic and confident that we have the talent and collective wherewithal to pivot. And that's what needs to happen. I know you are always optimistic, Andrew. Let's, let's dig into that report, John. Where is the region now when it comes to the economy and jobs and how do we compare to peer cities? Yeah, first of all, I would say, you know, if you were to go back to April and uh, 2020 and tell me that we were here now, you would say you'd take it. I mean, that was the shortest recession in U.S. history, and the recovery was much faster than anybody predicted back at that time. So that's the, that's the good news. Uh, relative to other cities, uh, we have had uh, sort of a posture here in this region of more regulation around uh, the public health crisis and more consumer response, people sort of staying back and not going into restaurants or hotels as much as in some other regions. And so consequently, as you said in the introduction, We've had uh, lower death rates uh, and we've saved lives, but that has translated into a, a somewhat slower job recovery than 
than our peers, uh, especially Nashville and Indianapolis. Uh, you also see uh, some chal ongoing challenges in the transportation equipment manufacturing sector that feeds into the aircraft supply chain up in Seattle. So those are those are the areas that really stand out. And then I think the other piece in in, in terms of thinking about peers in challenges is is the challenge of downtown Portland specifically and there in this report we had some new data that was able to compare to Seattle and it does suggest that uh, the return of visitors and of, uh, of employees downtown is slower than in Seattle and I think that that is probably uh, tied to perceptions around safety. And Andrew, what industries in particular have been hit hardest in the metro area? Are they making a comeback? And how is the recovery being felt in diverse communities? Yeah, well, well John, really, you hit it on the head with a, a few of those key pieces on the jobs recovery. And we'll always link this back to what's happening in the jobs market, because I think that's how people really experience the economy, frankly, as well as what they're paying. And I think the key is it's all linked back to the pandemic in large part because the first in is ultimately going to be the last out. And we know that was leisure and hospitality, still down over 10% on a jobs perspective from pre-pandemic levels. And it's not just the industry, but we're actually seeing some disaggregation with inside the region, so intra-regionally. So we compare ourselves to other locations, but we're seeing things different when you go over to Washington County or you go to Clackamas or Clark. And Portland is still greater than 10% off from pre-pandemic levels on a jobs basis compared to say Washington County, which is off only 3%. So we have that difference with inside the region. And ultimately a lot of this is both pandemic, yes, but also reputation and also public safety concerns. These have exacerbated that reputational challenge of Portland. And, and I wanna drill in a little bit too to what John said on aerospace and manufacturing. You know, we are one of 12 states in the nation that send more things overseas than we take in. So we export more than we import. And that's to be celebrated. That is that is a great thing. And so we're on the cutting edge of manufacturing and on innovation and global competition. And our manufacturing here is in large part linked to those industries John mentioned about travel and the production of aerospace equipment. And we are still off over 15% of the jobs in the transportation manufacturing space. Both these industries, as well as leisure and hospitality, are outstanding gateways to middle-class, good, attainable jobs, and impact diverse communities greater than others. And so if we are going to have a sustained and equitable recovery, we have to get the wheels of these industries, leisure, hospitality, and transportation manufacturing rolling again so that we can have a more sustained recovery. Let's bring Michelle in from DHM, who did a lot of polling about this. In your polling over the last several years, you've asked people if their quality of life is getting better. What did they say this time, and how does it compare to years past, Michelle? Well, it's interesting. Andrew mentioned reputation, which is how other people think of us. Um, when we asked people in their area how they feel about their quality of life here, the vast majority said it is getting worse here and it's um, you know over eight and 10, which means regardless of which county you live in, regardless of your income level or your age group, everyone is feeling pretty down on, on where we are right now. And what about whether the Portland region is on the right track or the wrong track? When you ask that question, what did people say? 
sorry that um, I, I smiled because it was actually so it was tough, tough news. It was probably it was the lowest we've ever seen it in terms of the number of people saying we're on the right track. Um, residents, voters are very frustrated and upset. And you see that um, in how they view the direction our region's headed, uh, which is definitely you know, also a commentary on how they view the leadership. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, Andrew, you mentioned reputation already, but let's drill down on that a little bit. A little bit. Uh, we talked about that from an important outside group last year, real estate investors. And it wasn't great last year. We'd fallen dramatically in rankings. Where were we then? Where are we now? And how do you explain the change? <laughs> yeah, so there's there's some conflicting data here, but I'm going to drill into this a little bit. And it's not long ago, and, and we, we always flash back in time here and we can think very um, fondly of, of, of past conversations, but yeah, Portland's story was synonymous with cranes, with building, construction activity, and investment. Uh, and that trend has catastrophically reversed through the pandemic. And according to the Urban Land Institute, in 2016, 2017, we were one of the most attractive places to do business. And we have fallen precipitously. So compared to other Pacific Northwest cities like Seattle and Boise, we have fallen dramatically in the rankings to 66th of 80 cities nearly a year ago. And there is some good news. So we're, there is a little bit of a reverse and we're seeing some positive trends here. And, and the upside is this, if you're tracking permitting, so looking into the region, how many you know, builders are applying for permits for multifamily dwellings here in the region, and you look at that as a key indicator of future activity, we've seen a tripling of new permits filed for multifamily dwellings. That is great news because one, it shows that there's a return to investment, a welcoming investment environment, and that builders are making that commitment and looking to the future. And we can see an upside here that, that is encouraging and that we're, we're excited about. Well, let's talk about affordability. John, your research also found Portland's pricing a lot of people out of living here. What did you discover specifically? Yeah, so we took a look at work uh, out of MIT uh, and what's called a living wage calculator. And they move through for different family types and, and we focused in on uh, two adults and two kids. And, and what they report there is that uh, the living wage uh, for that family is $94,000, which is essentially the amount of money that you'd have to have with that size of family to be all the way out of all your sort of federal and state uh, assistance programs. So 90, 94,000, uh, it's quite a bit of money. A little bit less in Seattle, but more than our other peers. Uh, and it is driven in no small part by the increasingly uh, high cost of housing in this region, along with um, sort of a, a larger tax bill uh, in Portland relative uh, to some of our peers as well. You know, the, the, the other piece we sort of dug into this as well and, and said, well, let's go look by race and ethnicity and uh, and who is with two adults and two kids uh, earning 94,000. And you see about, for example, two thirds of, of white households uh, with that configuration earning that amount, uh, but only a third of black households and, and a quarter of Hispanic households. So it's just a very challenging and increasingly challenging environment to make household budgets uh, balance. And I think you end up seeing that in Michelle's opinion uh, results. 
Yeah, 94000 is a lot of money for a family of four. Michelle, in your polling, given all these things, what did you find were respondents' top concerns, and how did those concerns compare to years past? Oh, top concerns this year when we asked in an open-ended question, homelessness was by far the top concern that people want, you know, leaders to address. And crime, and then politics. And, and, and what that often comes down is, you know, unhappy with current politicians or, you know, unhappy with whatever party is the other party for you. Uh, but often it just comes down to a concern again of over leadership. And, and then go ahead. In terms of how, <laughs> in terms of how it has changed over time, you know, homelessness, we've been here for the past few years, Laurel, and every year I say, oh, homelessness is getting it's rising to the top and the number of people naming it is growing and it's a sign of frustration. For 45% of people in an open-end question who say homelessness is their top concern, we rarely ever see that. I mean, there's just a consensus among the residents that this needs to be addressed. Um, and then crime, crime wasn't on the list. Uh, you know, it was down at 1% a year ago, and that's, or two years ago, and that has just been, um, you know, that has been a response to what people have been seeing for the past couple of years. And, and in a second poll question, you also showed cost of living was popping up as a concern as well. Can you speak to that? Right. When we give people a list of topics and say, how worried are you? You can see there that, you know, over half are worried about cost of living. Um, it's not necessarily their number one most urgent issue. But there is a unease that people are feeling, a concern, and um, and you know you know they're going to continue to feel that as inflation and housing prices continue to put pressure on on people and families. Well, Andrew, what does all of this tell you? Have you ever seen this kind of reaction before from respondents? And what should all of this say to regionally elected leaders? Well, yeah, I, did the, I would say even generally when we released this information, uh, the amount of coverage that it gathered around the region was was like we'd never, ever seen before. And also the reaction of elected officials to it as well. Um, in some sense, it, it felt like a wake up call. Uh, and I think that if there's a takeaway from our perspective, first, the continued evaluation of, of homelessness, you know, the clarity and alignment, not just on the issue, but on what to do about it is crystalline. And then other really this one is is new especially to this region crime which has not traditionally been a trend in this region and so you know to put these two together along with the cost of living um you talk about the the elements of who we are that we have told the world and we have always felt are our best assets a quality of life a good quality of life a reasonable cost of living and a relatively safe city for the size of the city that we live in. We are losing the things that we have always held as some of our most sacred assets. And so I think revealing this information in its most extreme form, and these are extreme numbers uh, from a polling perspective, um, I think really sent a message that it's time to change course. And, and the reaction has been actually very positive in how urgently some of our leaders embraced this and acted on the information. So we are in some senses encouraged by 
how significant these numbers have impacted uh, people in our community. It's time for us to take a break. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you to all of you. And of the four county area, Multnomah, Clackamas, Washington, and Clark, one area is growing. We'll take a look at which one and look at what this research might mean for the future. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. We're talking about the state of the economy in the Portland and Southwest Washington region and the state of the mood for people who live here. Welcome once again to my guests, Michelle Neese from DHM Research, John Taponia from Echo Northwest, and Andrew Holm from the Portland Business Alliance. Thanks again, everyone, for being here. And we'll start with John uh, this time. John, the population growth in our region differs across the four counties, Multnomah, Clackamas, Washington, and Clark, across the river in Southwest Washington. What do we see happening? Yeah, so the, the 2020 census gave us an opportunity to sort of look back over the decade. And what you're looking at here are year-to-year -year changes in, in migration, that sort of bluish color, and then the orange is the natural growth, the number of births outnumbering the number of deaths uh, in these various counties. And if you look at all of them, the entire region was sort of popping in the middle part of the last decade. Uh, but then you start to see drop-offs, especially there in uh, Washington County and Multnomah County with that in-migration slowing down. Uh, but you see continued growth uh, in Clark County and it's sort of a nice mix between in-migration and that natural increase. And so, you know, it, it will take time for us to get to the full story here, but it does appear that on the Oregon side of the border that we probably run into a bit of, of an affordability wall uh, that, you know, what was a celebrity city uh, in the middle part of the 2010s uh, may be hitting a bit of a, of a headwind as those housing prices and, and other challenges have come in. Andrew, what do you think that means for the future? Well, I think we've counted for so long, uh, and this is statewide, but also locally, uh, we, are, we are governments dependent on income tax and property tax. And we have long, for many years, but especially recently, depended on record revenues. The, our public officials have not had to make decisions from a scarcity mindset. But when you look into the future and you see these trends of the region disaggregating, uh, where you have growth north of the river, uh, and here in Multnomah County, we have, in some instances, for some taxpayers, the highest effective tax rates in the nation. Um, it starts to tell you a little bit that maybe people are making choices now. They have finally hit tipping points on cost of living and what they can bear out and their taxation. And so it, it looks at the future, you start to say, well, what if there's a moment in time we have to start making decisions around where our community invests its resources from a scarcity perspective? That's, that's troubling and concerning. And also, and I know we're going to get right into this, you know, we have rapidly diversified and that's to be celebrated because people are moving here and and so how do we keep that trend going and and that's to be celebrated how do we focus in on that and compete for households john will you speak to that about the share of portland's population that is racially or ethnically diverse it, it's increased quite a lot right yeah again uh, the census gave us an opportunity to look back and and you see uh you know the share who are non-white uh, crossing 30 percent uh, in Portland, that was one of the highest growth rates uh, in the country. Of course, we're starting at a low base. And so, it, uh, you know, our history is one of uh, a very white population. Uh, it is diversifying and, uh, you know, as time goes on, but we're still uh, still relatively low. 
And back to the polling, Michelle, what are voters saying about their elected leaders? You, you talked about this briefly in the first segment. That's right. I mentioned frustration. And you see that in how our voters are thinking about government in general. The chart you're showing right now says, you know, was city council ineffective or effective? The number of people saying that city council is ineffective has increased substantially compared to a year ago. Um, and it's a tough time to be an incumbent. So if you if you ask people about specific positions that are up for re-election, people are looking at who else is out there. Because again, there's just this frustration with where things are headed and a deep desire to see something done, to see actions being taken. Andrew, with those poll numbers showing dissatisfaction with the city council, the elected leaders, as we look ahead to the election, what advice would you give elected leaders? Yeah, and, you know, I think that um, if you're advising the council on these numbers, there's also a lot of solution space that we teased out in the polling. And those recommendations and those actions were specifically around homelessness, and getting shelter capacity to a place where we can accommodate every unsheltered individual on our streets and solutions around accountable public safety. And I would say to anybody in office, not just at the city, but at the county, metro, state, federal, voters are done with false choices. They believe that they can have accountable public safety and that that is not a binary choice between more police or less police. It's about having public safety for all and that we need to get on board with a rapid regrowth of our public safety network so we can have safe experiences in our community and accountable experiences in our community. And additionally, around homelessness, that if you are not focused on this issue as an elected official, with the urgency of crisis, then you are off base on what your priorities are. The community has spoken loudly. This is how you prioritize. You address these two issues of homelessness and public safety. And that is what your morning, noon, and night should be predicated on. And you're optimistic that we can course correct? Absolutely. And in fact, immediately after the re release of the polling, you saw a number of executive actions. And whether you agree or disagree with the way that the mayor is addressing this or proposing solutions, it is an absolute example of how you act with urgency, as if this was a crisis and a humanitarian one at that. And so I think we're seeing a real clarion call wake up moment where people are addressing this with the rapidity of disaster, which we have on our hands. And it is a challenge for anyone in office who's been dealing with a marathon of crises since the onset of the pandemic. But we're seeing urgent, rapid reaction. And that's how we start to move the ball forward in a different direction, because what we have been doing for too long has been status quo and voters are done with it. And John, about 30 to 45 seconds for a final thought. Yeah, final thought. Uh, I remain bullish on Portland. Uh, you know, in the in the long run, this is a beautiful place to live, uh, and its fundamentals are still strong. Uh, the the real hard spot is is the housing uh, market. We underbuilt for a generation. It uh, that undersupply drove rents and mortgages up. Uh, and it has created that humanitarian crisis uh, that Andrew referred to. So build, 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 build is my last uh, point. And Andrew, 30 seconds for a final thought. Yeah, this is an incredible place to live, work, and raise a family. And it will remain so because we are blessed with incredible natural resources and an amazing place to live. 
Uh, and we have grown into a metropolis. And that requires a different set of tactics and strategy to be able to deal with and equip ourselves uh, with the resources and tools to address big metropolis problems. And we've got those. And now it's time to pivot. We're at an inflection point and we need to act with absolute urgency to address the core issues that voters are telling us they want addressed. And if you would like to see the State of the Economy report for yourself, you can find it on the Portland Business Alliance website. And I want to thank Michelle, Andrew, and John. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. And thank you for watching. We hope you'll join us next week when we meet the candidates for Portland City Auditor. Might not sound like an exciting race, but the auditor plays a critical role in the city. So we hope you'll join us for Straight Talk next week. Until then, have a great week.